0: It's great to be here. Thank you, brother Jalen. Isn't the Lord good to us all the, time. all the time? God is good. I want you to take your Bible and go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 uh, in the front of the toward the front of your Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, find chapter 32, and just remain standing. And we're going to read a, a few verses. And I have had a great time this morning. In the Lord's house, and uh, the Lord's been doing some great things too. I was able to meet several folks in the greeting area after the last service, and heard some great testimonies of what God uh, done for them. and And uh, I believe we had somebody saved earlier this morning down in the small building. And God's just uh, God's at work all over the place, you know it. Yeah. And I thank Him for that. And I'm glad to also. To have visiting with us today, Uh, Chris and Lisa Russell, they came yesterday from Tennessee. They drove all the way down here to be a part of our resource clinic. They brought an entire trailer full of clothing, and they uh, helped us and assisted us, and they gave clothing to over 120 people that are living on the street. Amen. Isn't that good? And uh, so thank you all for being here and being a part of our service this morning. Have you got Deuteronomy chapter 32? Say amen. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 15. The Bible tells us, it says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxing fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they him to anger. I want you to understand this. This is the Lord talking about his people, his children, his people. The Bible says in verse 17, They sacrificed unto devils, not unto God. To gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up. You ever been walking on the right path, and all of something, all of a sudden something new came up. Well, I have. It says to newly gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art un mindful, and has forgotten God that formed thee. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. When he, It says, when the Lord saw it, saw what? How they had become unmindful and forgotten the Lord. It says, he abhorred them because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. And he said... I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. I want you to pay attention to verse 46 and 47. And he said unto them, Set your hearts. Unto all the words which I testify among you this day. Which ye shall command your children to observe to do. All the words of this law. For it is not a vain thing for you. Because it is your life. I want to end our reading there. And I want to draw your attention to several verses. But one key verse is going to be verse 18. Where it says, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful. And I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about the unmindful dilemma. The unmindful dilemma. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I sure do love you. And I thank you that you first loved me. Lord, all of us that are saved by the grace of God in here this morning, every one of us that are saved, we are that way because you initiated it. You loved us. Thank you for that. I want to ask you over the next few moments, Lord, just to continue to manifest your presence. I pray that these words that I'll speak would just be the uh, the Lord speaking through me and nothing more, nothing less. I pray you touch our hearts and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. Uh, You can have a seat. When when you come in the book of Deuteronomy to chapter number 32, you come to a, a very particular place in that book and in the history of God's people, Israel. They have already been led out of Egypt Moses and Aaron were their main leaders and they have began to go through many different sets or series of backsliding on God, of becoming unmindful of what all God had brought them from. Moses knew that Israel had a long history of turning away from God. And worshipping idols. At Mount Sinai they would made a golden calf. And they actually began to indulge in pagan sins or the sins of unbelievers. At a place called Kadesh Barnea they wanted to appoint a new leader. They got tired of Moses and they actually wanted to return to Egypt. In both of these particular rebellions, the Bible tells us that it was the intercession and the intercessory prayer of Moses, God's appointed leader, that actually held off the wrath and the judgment of God from falling heavy on his people. During the wilderness journey, the Jews often complained to Moses about several things That they just despised how he was leading them. When the new generation arrived at the border of Canaan, they indulged in immorality and idolatry with the women of Moab. So much so that God actually sent a plague and killed 24,000 Israelites. God had serious issues With their unmindfulness. Israel's history, of course, was a tragic story. It's a story of people who were chosen by God, but had chosen to do life their own way. You know, our story, so many times, is the same way, isn't it? We struggle in the flesh. We struggle in this life to stay right with God. At least if you're breathing, you do. And I don't know about you, but I have found myself in the same shape that Israel was in. To where I had to be honest with myself and honest with God and say, you know what? Lord, I too have become unmindful of you. What's it mean to become unmindful? Well, it basically means that we come to a place in our life to where God is no longer first place. You know, he said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the Bible said that he abhorred his own people because they were putting everything before him. And indulging in pagan sins. Can I tell you this? Every one of us here this morning can be victorious over unmindfulness. Maybe you've come today and and maybe you look churchy. I say congratulations. Maybe you've come today and, and you've got your family fooled. And your friends fooled. Even the pastor and and the ushers at the door They would look at you and say Everything is a okay with him or with her But you know, God sees the inside, doesn't he? And I know that there's been times in my life When if, if Brother Johnny looked at me He'd say, man, everything's going well with Trav But on the inside, I knew, man, my heart It's just not right in the sight of God. I want you to know we can get victory over that condition today, unmindfulness. And if we'll learn the three elements of unmindfulness that I'm going to present to you this morning, I think we can put them to practice and we can get victory. Let me give you element number one of becoming victorious over unmindfulness. I want you to see the process of unmindfulness. And I want you to understand this today. Uh, Israel, when God led them out of Egypt and when Moses went to get them, they were elated to be out from underneath that bondage for a moment. They were happy to, to be rescued, so to speak. And here's what I want to equate. Nobody simply forgets God's involvement in their life in a moment. It's a process. It happens over time. It happens over a period of time. It happens and many times it starts with something small and it grows to something larger until it grows to something in our life that we cannot control any longer. And that's what happened with Israel. The process of their becoming unmindful of God was connected to three particular things. And Number one, it was connected to leadership connected to leadership. What I mean by that is you can look all through the history of Israel and you can find where they became disgruntled and they disregarded the counsel that God was given to them through God's man, Moses. Numbers 14, 1 and 2 says, All the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and all the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. There will be many people this week that will go into their pastor's office. There may be some that come to Pastor Malcolm's office this week or next week. And they'll go because they're broken. They'll, they'll go because they know that they need help with their marriage or maybe they're Children or or whatever it may be. They'll go because they're they're broken. And at the end of their rope. And the preacher will get his Bible out. And he'll take the time. He'll listen. And he'll be attentive. And while they're talking. The Spirit of God will tell him where to open. And what to show him. And he'll say this is what God says about that issue. And sadly. Many will walk out of the pastor's office and disregard the counsel of the leader that God has appointed for their life. And Israel's downward spiral to idolatry was connected to leadership. They disregarded disregarded their counsel. But then it was connected to lordship. They disregarded their calling. If you'll remember... The Lord called them out of the bondage of Egypt and he had a great land, a fruitful land, a wonderful land prepared for them. And the Lord sent Moses and the Lord literally threw a lifeline and rescued them from the bondage of the wicked Pharaoh. And he called them out. But it wasn't long before they began to disregard that calling. And say things like in Numbers 14 verse 2. It says the whole congregation said unto Moses and Aaron. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness. Simply put they began to have an unsurrendered will. And an unsurrendered heart. And they became very displeased. With the activity of God in their life. Boy, I know I've been there. The Lord wants to take me this way. And my flesh and my own stubborn will stomps my feet and says, No, that's not the way I want to go. I was reading early this morning, about 5.30. And for some reason I flipped over to Titus chapter 1. And was reading the qualifications of a bishop. I guess I was trying to see if I qualified to come here today and say all this. I don't know. But I was just skimming through my Bible. And you know one of the qualifications? It said said not self-willed. In other words, it said the bishop, the man of God, he can't be self-willed. In other words, he doesn't get to do things uh, his way. But can I remind you, that goes for every child of God that's ever called upon the name of the Lord. We can't live our life our own way. That's why Paul told the Corinthians church, what? Know ye not that your body is not your own, but you've been bought with a price. But they rebelled against the Lord, so... Their unmindfulness was connected to leadership, then connected to lordship, and then it spiraled down and was connected to lust. The Bible says in Numbers 25, 1 and 2, Israel abode in Shittim, and all the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods gods. So they disregarded their counsel, they disregarded their calling, and now they disregarded their commitment. And did you know that there's many people today? And we're dressed up and we're gone to church, but it's become a formality. And even though the Lord has saved us from our sins and the penalty of sin, we have decided and disregarded what God has done and it's been some time now that we've been doing life on our own terms the process of unmindfulness can I ask you this don't raise your hand, don't answer out loud but can you see yourself in any areas of that process, boy I can me, I'll raise my hand and speak for every one of us, it's tough To stay right, isn't it? Let me show you not only the process of unmindfulness, but the problem. Let's move deeper into this and talk about the problem of unmindfulness. Verse 20, right here in our text chapter, verse 20 says this. And he said, that is God said, God answered. He said, I will hide my face from them. Many people tell me, and I've heard, if I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times. Oh, Brother Travis, I ain't hurting nobody but myself. What a lie. How deceived we can be. The problem with unmindfulness is God's face can be hidden. The Bible says, I will hide my face from them. Have you ever had a great day with your children? And I mean, they cleaned the room, they did their chores, they said yes sir and no sir, or, yes ma'am and no ma'am, they were just angels. I think I had one day like that. No, I've had more. But they were good And and maybe at some point in that day, you know, they, they just made you so proud, and maybe they asked you for something. Daddy, Daddy, can I have... And you just, as soon as they called your name, you just, because of their behavior, you just... Boy, what is it, sweetheart? You just locked right on them. Ready and willing to buy them that box of $25 cereal or whatever it is they wanted. <laughs> yeah, feels that way. Well, yeah, you've had, you've had those experiences if you've had kids. You ever had those days? where everything you said, they talked back. Or they, they you gave them a chore and they didn't even think about doing it right. And then at some point, you're so aggravated, at some point, they say, Daddy, Daddy, I want... And you don't even look their direction. You know that's true. That's exactly what the Bible says when God says, I will hide my face from them. You know why I believe so many people are in such disarray? God's not even looking their direction. You say, preacher, that just doesn't even sound right. I thought he loves us. He does. I thought God was merciful. He is. But he's also just. He's also holy. And we also reap everything we sow. You know, let me explain it like this. God's face is hidden. That's the first problem with our unmindfulness. Um, In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God did not indwell people. He came on people. He rested His power on people and things of that nature. But in the New Testament, when we get saved, the Bible teaches us that the Spirit of God, the moment we get saved, the Spirit of God takes up dwelling in our hearts, in our hearts lives in our spirit and we are indwelt by the spirit of God but did you know this the spirit of God is a person he's the third person of the Trinity God the Father God the Son God the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and did you know that as a person the spirit of God can be grieved and the spirit of God can be quenched Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. And to grieve means to offend or to make sorrowful. The word quench in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it says quench not the Spirit. Quench means exactly what you think it means. It means to extinguish or to put out. And I meet people every week And they talk the language of a Christian. But it's so evident that the Spirit of God is quenched in their life. There's no fruit. There's no activity. It's only lip service when it comes to the things of God. You know that in the same chapter, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5, where it tells us to grieve not the Spirit of God, it tells us some things that do grieve the Spirit of God. The Bible speaks in that chapter and says that lying grieves God's Spirit. The Bible says that fornication and all manner of sexual sins grieves God's Holy Spirit. It says that gossip and backbiting and covetousness and hatred grieve and quench the Spirit of God. The Bible says in that same chapter, that drunkenness will grieve the Spirit of God. Why are you preaching on on, on all that, preacher? Because that's what the devil trips us up with. Can I say this? If you have hatred in your heart toward your wife, your husband, or your ex, or anybody, you're not right with God. You can't be. Impossible. It ain't happening. If you don't love your brother who you can see, the Bible says, how are you going to love God whom you can't see? And so if if I'm filled with spite, if I'm filled with maliciousness and envy and all these things, I've become unmindful. And I've let these things take the proper place of God in my life. And the problem with that is God's face becomes hidden. There's another problem. Our faith is hindered. When we become unmindful of God's activity in our life, our faith can be hindered. Verse 20 says, for they are a very froward generation. That means they're very brass, very bold, very boisterous in their sinful ways. Does it sound like this day and age or what? They're very froward. It says children in whom is no faith. I'm only hurting myself, preacher. What about when you get that phone call at 2 a.m. and someone you care deeply about is in the hospital? What about when it's time to stand over the graveside and your family needs you to be able to get a hold of God. You realize if, if we're backslid at that point, And if our heart's not right with God at that point. We have no faith. You don't turn faith on and faith off at the whims of when we want to. The Bible says to walk in the light as he is in the light. And then we can have fellowship with God. God's face is hidden. God's, our faith is hindered. And the third problem with unmindfulness is our future is hampered. The Bible says in verse 29, Oh, that they were wise. That they understood this. That they would consider their latter end. I had a friend uh, that I met in Decatur. He was walking the streets. He was homeless and he was, very intoxicated and the first day I met him I walked up to him and he just threw up all over the place couldn't even tell me his name I had a a goodie bag with a hygiene kit and it had a bottle of water and a rag and wetted it and helped gave it to him so he could clean himself up and he was so drunk I couldn't do nothing for him at the time a couple days later Tim called me he said hey I just put a guy up in the motel here right up here he said he was on this exit and I stopped to see him and he looked awful so I put him up there so he could get a night of rest and a shower and Tim asked me if you if I could go check on him the next morning well I went up there and checked on this guy and it was the same man his name was John he had no clue where that goodie bag came from that I'd given him two days earlier I didn't rub it in I just started fresh because he was sober then and Lo and behold, me and John came pretty good friends. We talked every other day for months. He told me that he he was a Christian. He said, I know I shouldn't be drinking. He said, I've been out here on these streets for years. He said, I've ruined my family. And he told me all this history. He said, I'm going to try to sober up. And sure enough, he did. He moved in with his sister out in Jasper. Lived there for six or eight weeks. Sober as he could be. We talked all the time until I quit hearing from him. One day my phone rang, and I picked it up, and it was a crying woman on the other end. and She said, Brother Sharp, you don't know me, but I found your card in my brother John's bag. I said, is everything okay? She said, no, the police called. He's been gone from here for a couple weeks. He, he started drinking a little, then he finally he took off. She said they found him dead underneath the overpass in Decatur at Priceville. Said he'd been there three days, face down, in his own vomit. Died of alcohol poisoning. He was a man that would get right with God and then go back to his own ways. Then get right with God and go back to his own ways. And his own testimony before that happened, he said, Brother Travis, he said, I just feel like God's given me one more chance. And God did. And when I stood over his grave and preached his funeral, his three teenage children were there, and they barely wept. They barely cried. There was only five or six other people there. And everybody stood there stone-faced. It was the most awful preaching ministry experience I've ever had. And they stood there stone-faced because they didn't even know the man they were putting in the ground. The daddy had been taken away from their kids by alcohol several years before that. And they didn't even know how to start to process all this. What happened, preacher? How He became unmindful. Can I ask you this question? Has God been speaking to your heart? Has the Lord been knocking on your heart's door and saying, You know that issue? You know that thing? That one that nobody else knows about. When are you going to get that right? When are you going to come home to me? When are you going to make it right? process of unmindfulness. the, The problem with unmindfulness. But can I tell you in closing about the prescription for unmindfulness? I don't know about you, but I sure am glad today that for every problem we will experience... God has the answer. And that's worth shouting about. But I want to tell you something else. A warning. That answer has a time limit. What do you mean, preacher? Your life and my life has a time limit. What happened to my friend John? He ran out of time. He died when his heart was not right with God. And here's the thing, the Bible says in the book of James, the Bible says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. Sir, if you're not right with God today, ma'am, if your heart's not right with God today, you don't get the luxury of getting it right tomorrow, because you're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're lost without God, let's get it right today. If you know that you've been swaying away from God, let's do business today. You say, well, how? The prescription for unmindfulness is found in verse 46 and 47. Verse 46 says, he said unto them, set your hearts. Under all these words. What's the first thing I do to get right? Set your heart. You know what the heart of the problem is? It's the problem of the heart. It's the problem of the heart. The Bible said in Proverbs 23, 26, My son, give me thine heart. He would much rather have your heart than your tithe. God would much rather have your heart than your attendance. God would much rather have your heart than your sacrifice. God wants our heart. For if he has our heart, he has everything else. Amen. To get right, we must set our heart upon God and allow him. To be Lord of our life. And then verse 47 says this. I love this. For it is not a vain thing for you. Because, watch this. Because it is your life. Can you hear the pleading of God in those verses? It's not vain to turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. It's not vain because it's your life. You're worth it, sir. You're worth it, ma'am. You're worth it, teenager. The Lord needs you, and so does the world. And so God says, set your heart and seize your life. I close with this story about my dad. My dad got saved probably seven or eight years ago. It was, I got saved in, in August of 1994, August the 1st of 94, so I think I just, last week was my 19th spiritual birthday, 19 years that I've been saved. Praise God for that. Malcolm Carter Sr. Uh, led me to the Lord, then just a few months later at, at Pastor Carter's house, at about one in the morning, I surrendered to preach, and praise God we've had to hammer down ever since then, amen. So thank God for that. But my dad never was saved. He was an alcoholic. My parents divorced when I was 13. It was just it all the stuff that goes along with an alcoholic daddy we experienced. And, and I got to praying for my dad after I got saved. And I prayed for what seemed like an eternity. God saved my dad. And I would pray, but some days I'd believe he would get saved. Some days I'd just say, man, there's no hope. You ever felt like that? Well, one day, lo and behold, Daddy got saved. But he didn't join a church. He didn't, matter of fact, he didn't even start going to church. Never got baptized. Never nothing. And so for years, I wondered, well, was his commitment real? What, you know, just all these question marks. And then, four years ago, September the 3rd, it'll be four years, I got a call from my older brother who lives in Kentucky. Not far from where my dad lives now. And he said, Travis, you better get up here quick. He said, Dad's had a bad seizure. The mailman found him out in the yard almost dead. We're rushing him to the hospital now. He may live, he may not. And man, my heart sunk. And I raced to Kentucky and he had started drinking again. And my dad is diabetic and he started, actually started drinking moonshine from eastern Kentucky. And I'm no doctor, but I understand moonshine from eastern Kentucky ain't good with somebody who has diabetes. And the doctor told us it was all that interaction that triggered these seizures. And for like three weeks he was in intensive care. He'd go in and out of these diabetic comas. It was just awful. He almost died. And when he got home from the hospital, I stayed with him for about 30 days. I had to make his food. I had to give him his drink because he he couldn't quit shaking it was just awful every night he would ask me to tuck him in I had to help him to bed physically my dad's a big man 6'4, 240 or 50 pounds it's a big man and I had to help him in bed And he'd get in bed and I'd put the covers over him and he would grab my he would grab my hand and he pulled me down and he'd say pray for me and so every night I'd pray over him just like I pray for my children And he'd hold me tight. Well, after 30 or 40 days, he was in good enough shape where I could go home and continue my responsibilities. And the day I was leaving, he stood at the door. He said, son, he said, I don't know how I can ever repay you for being here and taking care of me. He said, but you tell me. He said, you tell me what I owe you and you got it. I remember God gave me this. I said, Daddy, if if you'll just take care of yourself and put God first in your life from now on, I said, you can repay me by staying around for a while. Boy, he began to cry some big old tears. He held me tight. He said, You got it. You got it. Wasn't long, he started going to church. Wasn't long. He started going to Sunday school. Then it wasn't too long. He called me up. I, I remember I was eating at the Mexican restaurant right down here in on Thirty One, and I but the phone called after church, and I answered it. I said, "Hello." He said, "I got good news." And it was my dad. I said, "What is it, Dad?" He said, "I need you to come up here and baptize me." I choked on the salsa. Who is it, you know? And I I remember I went outside by them train tracks back there, and I said, now, hang on, hold up. Come again? He began to explain. He said, I've been coming to church every Sunday for six months. He said, I told the preacher today I wanted to join. He said, and thank God for a good preacher. He said, the preacher counseled with me and told me that'd be fine if I was already saved, but I needed to be scripturally baptized. Long ago, time, long, long time ago, my dad told me if, I, if he ever did get saved, he'd let me baptize him. He said, so I don't talk to the preacher, and I told him it was going to be you that did it. So I made the trip to Upton, Kentucky, and my dad's health is real bad. His body's not working good. He's had hip replacements, and he's a big man. So me and the preacher got in the pool with him, and I baptized him, and the preacher just stood back there to, in case something went wrong. Not long ago, a couple years ago, he joined a men's prayer group on Tuesdays. They study and pray. And I could go on and on and on. You say, well, gee, what happened with him? He seized his life. He set his heart towards something better than 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 the small the fleeting desires of this life. What do I need to do, preacher, if if things just ain't right between me and God? You need to come to this altar. Do business with God. Seize your life. Repent. Set your heart on Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And let God bless you like only He can bless you. Amen. Let's all stand together. I want every head bowed. Every eye closed if you will do me that. Every head bowed and every eye closed and the musicians are going to play. And this invitation is for you. I wonder this morning. If you get right down there with God and get serious. Say, Lord, you know my heart already. Did you know that whatever you bring to this altar and tell God about, did you know it's not going to surprise him? He knows about it. He's just waiting on you. I wonder if you need to come do business with God, would you come? Would you come and just say, God, I need you. Lord, I've strayed away, and God, I'm coming home. That's it. Praise God. If you're on the altar and you want somebody to pray with you, you just lift your hand a little bit and one of these altar workers will come and pray for you. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wonder if there's somebody here that would say, Preacher, my problem's worse than being unmindful. I'm not sure if I'm even saved. I wonder if you'd let me pray for you this morning if you're not 100% sure that if you died today you would go to heaven can I say eternity is way too long to have a question mark there heads are bowed and eyes are closed I wonder who would slip their hand up and say preacher would you pray for me God bless you I see that hand on my right ma'am I see that one I see one in the front I see hands all over the place. Preacher, I'm just not sure about my relationship with God. Oh, I need prayer. I'm fixing to pray. Anybody else want to get in on that? I see these hands to my left and in the center. Right here and to the right. You can put them down. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you. And after I'm done praying, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. So you listen to my prayer and then await those instructions. Father in heaven, I want to pray for every hand that was raised. And Lord, probably many that weren't raised that should have been. I want to pray that you'd meet the needs of their heart. Whatever the deepest need is, the, the darkest secret, Lord, it doesn't matter. I pray, God, that you'd transcend all of that. I pray you'd rescue. I pray you'd save. I pray you'd do great things today. Pray, God, that you'd bless, meet those needs. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want everybody to look up. In just a moment, Brother Jalen's going to sing. If you raised your hand and you acknowledged that you needed God's work in your life, I'm going to ask you to do something. The Bible says this. The Bible says in the book of James. It says draw nigh unto God. And he'll draw nigh unto you. The word nigh means close. So what that means in, in, in our terminology. If we'll make a step toward God. God will make a step toward us. All these men and women that are standing up here along this altar. They got their Bibles and the preacher asked them to be there. To help pray with people. If you need God to do something for you this morning, here's what I want to ask you to do. Step out of your seat where you are. Come forward to the to this altar and let us take a Bible and let us pray with you. It'll take just a few moments. You can do business with God and go back to your seat knowing you've obeyed God. I wonder, right when He sings, would you come this way? Go ahead, brother. Would you come this morning? You don't have to that's carry it. Your burdens Carla, Anymore right here. There's a light in the darkness There's a love that's true Jesus is waiting That's it You He's come to God, amen for you. Amen come to give in Praise God.